0: Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. We are starting Acts chapter 14 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. So turn, turn your Bibles to Acts 14. Acts 14 verses 1 through 20. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe sends our reading of God's irresistible word. May all who hear it understand its unstoppable saving power. Well, we are getting close to being halfway done with the book of Acts. And as we have been going through it, what, what should by now have become supremely evident is that the focus of the early church was on the proclamation of the gospel. That, that, that the preaching of the message of Jesus had, had, the, had a preeminent place in the, in the minds and the hearts of these first century Christians. From the day of Pentecost, when, when, when the apostle Peter proclaimed that this risen Jesus was the Jewish Messiah... To where we are now, as Paul and Barnabas have set out on their missionary journey and are proclaiming that same message wherever they go, it has been this declaration concerning Jesus Christ that has been the primary focus of everything that we have read thus far. But why? And why were these early Christians so focused on preaching Jesus? Because the gospel is essential. The gospel is essential. And in fact, it is, it is so essential that, that, that there wouldn't even be a church today without it. You and I would not be gathering in this place right now without the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's because only the gospel has the power to save. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Here we have Paul's word to the church in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I mean, mean, did you catch that? The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Power to do what? <clears throat> for salvation to everyone who believes. It has a power to save. And who is this message for? For, for, for everyone, right? It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for those who feel like they have some religious calling in their life. It is for everyone. And so this message is extremely, extremely important. And that's because a person cannot be saved unless they hear it. But because that is the case, the enemy will do everything in his power to prevent this message from being spoken. And that's because the enemy knows that at the heart of the battle lies the gospel. And if he can somehow prevent this message from being spoken, well, then he wins. mentioned that we are almost halfway done with this book and so we've we've seen the power of the gospel have we not we've seen how it has grown God's kingdom how the preaching of Jesus Christ saves lives and we're going to see that again today So, so where are we at in this story, what what has led up to to the passage that we just read? If you remember, Paul and Barnabas they had been sent out by the church in Antioch, and they went out and they were preaching the gospel wherever they went, and they they ended up in this city, Antioch Pisidia, a different city, it was the same name of Antioch, right? Um, and there they 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 preached the gospel. In the synagogue there. And and Paul had proven to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And that they must turn to him in order to find salvation. And while the Gentiles in that city accepted this message. Remember it was the Jews. Those who should have been looking for the Messiah. They were the ones who were filled with jealousy and, and hatred. In fact they reviled both Paul and Barnabas. And thus they began persecuting these men eventually driving them out from their district. And yet this did not deter these two missionaries, for, for we saw them moving on to the next place. They, they traveled to Iconium, a city roughly 85 miles to the east. And they went there to continue their mission. I found this on the web for roughly 85 miles to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> That's my phone. <laughs> uh. so where was I <laughs> yeah they were 85 miles to the east they, they, they were going to Iconium in order to proclaim the message of Jesus to this other city and, 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 and so this is what we see in our text for today what the passage that we just read we, we, we see these ambassadors for Christ continuing to preach the gospel wherever they would go. And yet what we're also going to see is that is that no matter where they went, they would continue to encounter the attacks of the enemy. In fact, today we will see three distinct forms of these attacks. Three different types of attacks that our enemy will employ. One the poisoning of minds against Christians. Two, the the, the conforming of the the Christian message to to the worship of this world, the the way the world worships. And and finally, three, just straightforward violence. Bottom line, the, the, the enemy of our Lord will use any means necessary to put a stop to the gospel message. But the good news is that this enemy cannot overcome King Jesus. Jesus is sitting on his throne, and he will have the last say. Let's, let's see how this plays out. Look, let's look at this first attack, the, the, the poisoning of minds against Christians. Look at verses 1 through 4. some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And so once, once again, we, we, we see that Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue, right, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And, and once again, we see that this gospel message had a huge impact upon the people, on both the Jews and the Greeks, Luke tells us a great number believed. And yeah, what else do we see? Opposition, right? Again, just like in Antioch, Pisidia, there is opposition that was coming specifically from the unbelieving Jews. And what were they doing? What, what were the tactics that they were using? Luke, Luke tells us that they they poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers, against those who believed. And this is the first of three attacks that we will see the enemy using in in his effort to prevent the gospel from being spoken. In in other words, the the enemy, what what he was trying to do, he was trying to pit the rest of society against the church. And this plan worked to some extent, did it not? For what does Luke Luke tell us? He, He said that the city was divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some sided with Paul and Barnabas. And I'm sure that this made it very, very uncomfortable for any who wanted to claim Jesus as their Savior. So what did this look like? What, what, what does Luke mean that the Jews had poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers? Well, basically, he, they, they had created some type of narrative, if you will, that, that not only made the Christians probably look foolish, but perhaps made them look immoral and dangerous as well. That they couldn't be trusted Sound familiar? And we see the same thing happening today, do we not? Where, where, where society has deemed that, that having Christian beliefs and values are, are, are somehow destructive. In fact, there, there are many now today who, who want to who pass into law that, that any proclamation from God's word is a form of hate speech, particularly when it comes to the biblical view on marriage or the biblical view on gender. But but lying behind all of this, what is it that they really want to attack? They want to attack the gospel. They don't want the message of Jesus to be announced. And that's because it is a message that condemns those who refuse to bend the knee to their king. You see, the, the enemy, he wants to poison the minds of the people against God's church. And so he will establish this narrative where, where Christianity is somehow this, this twisted and immoral point of view. And that those who believe and, and practice such, such things should be deemed as dangerous. And we see this going on today. In certain nations, it's already been outlawed. You can ask our neighbors to the north about that. So, so what are we to do when we face such opposition? What did Paul and Barnabas do? I mean, Luke, Luke tells us that they remained for a long time, and they spoke boldly for the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but but it seems like the greater the opposition, the bolder Paul and Barnabas got, right? That they thrived when they were attacked, that they would speak about the grace of Jesus all the louder, that they would not be silenced. Dear friends, we must not allow what the world thinks of us to deter the message of Jesus. We are not to run, we are not to hide, we are not to shut our mouths. Rather, we are to speak boldly for our King, understanding that that ultimately He is the one who has the power to change hearts. And that's exactly what we see happening with both Paul and Barnabas, is it not? Jesus was confirming the message that they were speaking through both signs and wonders. Miracles were happening in that city, demonstrating the validity of the gospel message. Jesus wants us to speak out. He wants us to proclaim his good news. Well, because both Paul and Barnabas would not be silent, the enemy had to come up with a different tactic, Did he? didn't he? A different tactic in order to get rid of these missionaries. Look at, look at verses 5 through 7. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, Into the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And so we see a plot was made to try to stone these missionaries, and yet Paul and Barnabas somehow got wind of these plans, and they were able to flee for their lives and make their way to the next city, to to, to Lystra, and then to Derbe. And it was in those cities that they got to preach about King Jesus to even more people about the salvation that he brings to those who are lost and so and so this in this attempt to murder these men this had now become the catalyst for the furtherance of the gospel message in other regions of the world i am telling you every time it looks like the enemy is winning What does Jesus do? He he, he turns things around and uses it for his own glory. And that's because King Jesus will not allow his message to be squelched. He is able to use even the the, the wicked acts of men to direct his messengers to the very people who need the gospel the most. And, And this moves us into the second part of our story for today where we will see a a different form of attack that the enemy will use against those who want to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at at verses 8 through 10. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, now Lystra, this first place that they went to after they had fled from Iconium, was a city that was roughly only about 20 miles away, or roughly a day's journey. And so these missionaries they were they they were fresh off the heels of running for their lives. And yet when they got to the city they began doing doing the same exact thing that they had been doing which had gotten them in trouble in all the other cities they had been in, right? They they preached the gospel message. And what does this tell us about these men? It tells us that that they didn't allow this attempt on their lives to dissuade them from being obedient to Jesus. That they were going to bring his saving message to as many people as they could possibly find. And yet an interesting thing happened while they were in Lystra. They came across this man who had been lame since birth. He could not use his feet. He could not walk. He had never walked. He was a bedridden man and most likely a beggar on the street. Now this begs the question, how did this lame man, most likely this beggar, come to hear the words of the Apostle Paul? It's because Paul wasn't preaching in the synagogue. Rather, he was most likely preaching in the open market of the city. Now, now Luke doesn't tell us this explicitly, but as we'll soon see from the reaction of Paul's audience, that these Gentiles to whom he was preaching, they they were not like the Gentiles in the other city. They, They were not Jewish converts. Paul was preaching to the pagans in the open square. And perhaps Lystra didn't have a synagogue. Maybe there weren't that many Jews in the city. Or perhaps Paul had already preached in the synagogue. We we just don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But what we can be certain of is that this was a a different type of crowd than what we had been seeing in the past. These people were pagan to the core. They were idol worshipers caught up in the the Greco-Roman cult. And yet, the gospel was still having an impact. This this lame man was listening, right? Paul's words had had grabbed his attention and he began hearing about Jesus, about how Jesus is God in human flesh, about how Jesus lived the sinless life that that, that he could not. And, And that even though Jesus was innocent, he chose to go to the cross in order to pay the penalty for this man's sins. And how three days later, Jesus then defeated death as he rose from the grave and that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father upon his throne in heaven as the true king of all creation. And this man would have heard the call to repentance, the call to to trust in this Jesus as both Lord and Savior. And guess what? This man believed He had faith. In fact, Luke tells us that Paul was able to see that this man had faith. Now think about that. How in the world did Paul know this? How, How could he perceive that this man had faith to be made well? Again, Luke doesn't tell us. Maybe the Holy Spirit somehow indicated it to him. Perhaps the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul or gave him a little nudge on the shoulder when Paul looked this man in the eyes. Whatever the case, Paul somehow could see that this man had faith in Jesus Christ. And so what did Paul do? He he, he commanded this man to stand upright upon his feet. He, He told this man to do something that he had never, ever done in his lifetime. Well, this cripple, he did more than that, didn't he? For he told, he, he sprang up and that he began walking around. Now, how does this happen? How, how does someone who, who has never even trained his muscles to do such a thing suddenly do it with ease? It's because Jesus is king, Right? It's because Jesus has the power to bring complete healing to this man instantly. Now, now we had just read that Paul and Barnabas performed signs and wonders in Iconium as well. And these signs and wonders were probably just as amazing as what had occurred here. And yet we see a different reaction in this city. Look at the reaction. Look at verses 11 through 13. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd's Now, what in the world is going on here? Why did these people think that Paul and Barnabas were gods? Well, it's because Lystra had a very interesting local legend. You you see, in this city, it was commonly believed that generations prior, there were these two gods who had taken on human form and started walking about their land. And as they were roaming about, there was no one in that region who was willing to offer them any hospitality. That is until this older couple, a couple named Philemon and Bacchus, they took pity on these strangers and offered them some supplies of their own. Well, it was after this act of hospitality that these gods then revealed themselves and rewarded this couple They made them the priest and the priestess in the temple of Zeus. And and later in life, they even transformed this couple into two sacred trees in order that they might be remembered for generations to come. And yet for the rest of the people that were living in that land, all of them suffered greatly under the judgment of the gods because they had lacked hospitality. And so this is a legend that had been passed on generation after generation after generation in Lystra. And so, when the people of this city saw what Paul had done, in the back of their minds, they were thinking about this local legend of when the two gods had visited in human form. And that's why they brought out the bowls, that's why they brought out the garlands. They didn't want to make the same mistakes that their ancestors did. Those who lacked hospitality and fell under the judgment of the gods. And yet because they were speaking in their own language, in the Lyconian language, neither Paul nor Barnabas probably knew what was going on, right? And it probably wasn't until they brought out these animals to be sacrificed that The two of them began putting the pieces together that these people did not understand the gospel message and that they wanted to attribute this great healing to their own pagan deities. And so, what we see going on here is a a confusion of the gospel message. These people saw the signs and the wonders and they simply assumed what they had already believed. They did not take into consideration what Paul had been preaching or the fact that that it was Jesus who had healed this man, not Paul. They simply credited this great miracle to something that they already knew. Surely this must be the power of Zeus and Hermes. Surely this, this must have come from the gods whom we already worship. But that's what the enemy does, is it not? He he tries to twist and to conform the message of the gospel to the things of this world and the things that the world already worships. And unfortunately, we, we see this kind of thing being prevalent today as well. I mean, think of all the false gospels that are spread around by the enemies of Christ. Teachers who who claim to be Christians and yet focus on the things that the world worships. I think of the prosperity gospel, where where the focus is not upon Jesus, but upon gaining wealth and and having your best life now. Or, Or think about all those progressive Christian leaders of today who are simply trying to conform the gospel message in order that it might agree with what the culture already thinks. Whatever is right in the world's eyes must therefore be right in God's eyes. And the goal in all of these things is is to get our eyes off of Jesus, right? Off the work that he did on the cross and, and to fix him upon all of our worldly idols. This was exactly what was happening in, with this crowd in Lystra. They, they, they took what was a display of Christ's power and they then twisted it to fit the world that they already knew. They attributed it to their pagan deities, to Zeus and to Hermes. And yet, when Paul and Barnabas finally realized what was going on, what did they do? But look at verses 14 through 18. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. I mean, the irony in all of this is that here was Paul and Barnabas, these ambassadors for Christ who were trying to convince the people concerning the one true God. And yet the conclusion that the people had come to was that both Paul and Barnabas were gods. That they were a part of their pagan pantheon, Zeus and Hermes. They were trying to bring good news, not be the good news. And this is why they were so adamant when they discovered what was going on. It's why they tore their their garments to demonstrate that they were not gods, that they were just humans. It's why they pled with the people to turn from their idolatry, from these vain and worthless things, and to turn to the true and living God, to turn to Jesus and the salvation that he brings. I mean, when you think about it, these these gods that these men have created, Zeus and and Hermes, I I mean, they were nothing more than representations of the things that God has already created. I mean, for example, Zeus was the god of the sky and the weather. He he was the god of thunder before Thor was the god of thunder. And, And Hermes was known as the herald of the gods, the one who would speak for them, the voice And so in essence, what these people were worshiping were created things, the sky and speech. And that's why Paul and Barnabas called these things vain. Because they were not worthy of true worship, right? Only the living God, the one who created everything, only he is the one worthy of a sacrifice, I mean, do you see it? The the only one who truly has the power to heal a man that had been lame since birth is the one who created everything. Zeus cannot do that. Hermes cannot do that. And yet the enemy wants to point you to those things. He wants to get you to worship something other than the one true God. I mean, who are the gods that we worship today? What are their names? Money? Power? Vanity? Human autonomy? I mean, we we look in the mirror and we bow down, right? And the enemy, he has, he has taken the gospel message and he has learned to, to, to twist it in order that people might take their eyes off of Jesus and focus them upon these vain things. And yet it is our job to rush to the crowds and shout, No! We must be like Paul and Barnabas and point people back to the true gospel, to point people back to Jesus. And yet this is a difficult task for even these two missionaries they were barely able to restrain the people from worshiping them. Well the enemy has had failed in his first two attempts of preventing the gospel from being preached and so he would resort to a third attempt a different tactic altogether. He would use straightforward violence Look at, look at verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, now consider what's going on here. This, this sudden turn upon these missionaries, it, it, it didn't originate from the people of Lystra, now did it? Rather, it originated from who? From the Jews. Jews who had traveled from both Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium. I mean, think about that. This is how much hatred these people had for Paul and Barnabas. Some of these Jews had traveled over a hundred miles. And for what? To try to convince the people of Lystra to turn upon these missionaries and to kill them? But that's what they did. They convinced the crowds and in a powerful way. I mean, no longer did they want to worship these men as gods, but what did they do? Now they were going to stone them? They wanted them dead? So, what did they do? They they, they got their hands on Paul. They surrounded him. They picked up their stones and they began tossing. They pummeled him until he was a lifeless, bloody mess. And when they were done, they, they dragged his body outside the city and left it in a heap. And this goes to show the fickleness of the world, does it not? One minute they're ready to worship you as a god, and the next they're ready to kill you. I mean, that's the ultimate form of cancel culture, is it not? <laughs> uh, but, th- but that's what happens when, when the world discovers that the message that you are preaching goes against the message that they want to believe You know, so long as you fit into their categories, you're going to be loved. But the minute they find out that you are calling them to something different, that you are calling them to repentance, that you are calling them to turn from their wicked ways, well, then they will become hostile and even resort to violence. They will use brute force in order to shut you up. How are we as Christians supposed to respond to such violent attacks? Well, if you if you know it's coming, well, then you can flee, right? Just as Paul and Barnabas did when they were in Iconium. But but if they catch you by surprise, as they did here with Paul, then, then what else can you do but take it? Right? Take it and trust that, that Jesus will be there by your side no matter the outcome. This leads us to our last verse. Look at at verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Well, the Apostle Paul obviously wasn't dead. And the believers from Lystra, those who had been called to the faith, they surrounded this man, they surrounded God's messenger, making sure no more stones would be thrown in his direction. And what did God do? God raised him up. Now, was this God completely healing Paul? Or did Paul remain cut up and bruised? Did he have broken bones and open wounds? Or did God restore his health? I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. He gives us no details. But whatever the case, it had become evident that Lystra was no longer safe, just like Iconium. And so what did Paul and Barnabas do? They, they left for another city, for the city of Derbe, where for the sake of the gospel, they would continue their work preaching boldly the name of Jesus. I mean, here's the thing. Even though Paul was an inch from death's door, he did not relent. He continued to proclaim the gospel. He, He continued to preach the saving message of Jesus Christ. Why? Why would a man do this? Because there were more people who were lost. Because there were more people whom God has appointed to eternal life. You see, Paul understood that no matter what the enemy would do to him, it was only a mere inconvenience. Especially compared to the fiery wrath that awaited those who don't know Jesus. And even though the enemy will stop at nothing to put an end to the gospel being preached, Paul also understood that King Jesus will prevail. For he is the true ruler of this world. And no matter how many times or or in how many different ways the enemy will attack, Jesus will not allow his message to be stifled. Praise God. We need to have this same understanding. That that, that our troubles, whatever they may be, are only light and momentary. That Jesus is sitting upon his throne right now. And that the schemes of the enemy will not win the day. Rather, Jesus will be victorious. And if that is the case, then we who are Christ's messengers, we can continue to move forward with courage. I want to end you with some of the words of the Apostle Paul. He says this, So we do not lose heart. are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are both all-knowing and all-powerful. And so when the enemy attacks, you are not taken by surprise. There is not a scheme that the enemy can come up with that can thwart your will. And that is why we pray to you now. We pray that you might give us the boldness and the courage of, of Paul and Barnabas, that we would open our mouths and point people to your Son, Jesus Christ, and that, and that no matter whatever what trials or troubles come our way, that we would take an eternal perspective and know that you are right by our side. We can only do these things through your strength, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask you to fill us, fill us this day, that we might be your messengers, that we might proclaim the gospel message to a world that desperately, desperately needs to hear it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.